0: to the 97th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than Food and Frightening Film Fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead. Turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week we're doing a single serving size episode and that's one that falls below my two movie minimum to be considered a franchise. We're talking about the two movies that are American Psycho and American Psycho to All-American Girl. American Psycho came out in 2000, and is based on a book by Brett Easton Ellis, directed by Mary Herron. This was her third film, screenplay, also by her, and Genevieve Turner. The two of them also worked together on a number of other projects, including The Notorious Betty Page. The film was produced by Edward R. Pressman, Chris Harley, and Christian Halsey-Solomon, starring Christian Bale in the lead role, William Defoy, Jared Leto, Josh Lucas, Samantha Mathis, a few other people, Chloe Sevigny, Justin Thoreau, Genevieve Turner, and Reese Witherspoon. The second movie, American Psycho 2, All-American Girl, came out in 2002, so two years later. This, however, was direct-to-video. It was directed by Morgan J. Freeman. Not the Morgan Freeman you're thinking about. A different one. Screenplay by Alex Sanger and Karen Craig. Based on characters, again, by Brett Easton Ellis. Produced by Ernie... Uh... Barish, B-A-B-A-R-A-S-H starring Mila Kunis in the lead role and William Shatner, of course, Captain Kirk from the original Star Trek. Um, let's see here. Where to find these movies? These movies are not exactly the easiest to find. They're not on many of the usual streaming services for free, so they're not on Netflix, Hulu, Shudder, Tubi, it will cost you $4 each on Amazon Prime, YouTube, or Google Play to watch these movies. Rotten Tomatoes. The first American Psychos, critics gave it 69%. Audiences gave it an 85%, which is pretty high. American Psycho 2, critics gave it a zero. Audiences gave it an 18%, so very bad. The plot... Um, I'll read you the brief IMDb synopsis. Or no, not IMDb. That's what I usually do, but this time I'm do the Rotten Tomato synopsis and then just talk about the plot a little bit. So the first movie, Rotten Tomatoes, says, In New York City in 1987, a ham- handsome, young, urban professional, Patrick Bateman, played by Christian Bell, lives a second life as a gruesome serial killer by night. The cast is... Let's see, the cast is filled by the detective, William DeFoy, the fiancé, Reese Witherspoon, the mistress, Samantha Mathis, the co-worker, Jared Leto, and the secretary, Chloe Sevigny. This is a biting, wry comedy, examining the elements that make a man a monster. So, we'll get into some of the specifics later, um, but basically, I hadn't seen this movie in a while, so there were certain things that I had forgotten, such as the number of famous people that were actually in it, including Reese Witherspoon. Um, Patrick Bateman seems to have an uh, OCD. He meticulously does things in his life. He, we hear meticulous uh, playback of his morning routine and his discussion of music Um, things like that. He's not really a very likable character. So, um, I think this movie is really about the excesses of the 1980s. And in the end, we're really not sure if... Well, let's just say the ending is still up to debate for everyone. Because in the end, we don't know if... Patrick Bateman actually killed anyone, or if it was all in his head, and there are certain clues that point to that, such as his shootout with the police, and then the car exploding, and you know, uh, that was not very realistic, no one finding the bodies, so we don't know if it's all in his head or not. Another theory is that perhaps when he called his lawyer to confess, at the end, the lawyer went and cleaned everything up for him, or... Bateman's uh, father apparently runs the company where he works or if his father found out and cleaned up everything to protect Bateman. So um let's see and this also applies to Paul Allen's apartment where he kept a bunch of the bodies. American Psycho 2, Rotten Tomatoes, says Rachel, played by Mila Kunis, is a criminology student hoping to land a position as a teacher's assistant for Professor Robert Starkman, William Shatner. She's sure the position will pave the way to an FBI career, and she's willing to do anything to obtain it, including killing her classmates. The school psychiatrist, Dr. Daniels, becomes aware that Rachel is insane, but Rachel is skilled at her dangerous game of death and identity theft. This movie is really a sequel in name only. We'll talk about this a little bit more later, but how they tied this into the original movie was creating the first scene, which has a little girl who's tied up, and then her babysitter is also tied up, and she's being attacked by a serial killer, Um, and that serial killer is supposed to be Patrick Bateman. Of course, we never see his face because Christian Bell didn't want to do this movie, I'm sure, And somehow the little girl ends up untying herself, stabs the guy in the back, kills him, and gets away. So that's how it's tied into this movie. I will say this woman goes to a lot of extremes for just an assistantship, which seems crazy to me. Um, I think I would consider this movie a black comedy. Uh, but it has cheesy generic music all, all the time every few minutes it's really more of like a lifetime style movie or if they had really just tweaked it a little bit I think it would have been a lot more fun but as it is it's pretty boring to get through this was obviously just a cash grab by the studio because they also owned the original American Psycho movie too bad the two, these two movies have to be compared to each other. On to trivia. Most of this, comes as no surprise, is from the first movie. I may have too much, so I may just skip around. But during the shooting of the film, Christian Bale spoke in an American accent offset at all times at the rap party when he began to speak in his Welsh accent Many of the crew thought he was speaking that way as an accent for another movie. They had thought he was American throughout the entire shoot. The biggest, single biggest cost on the film were purchasing the rights to the various songs throughout. Looking for a way to create the character of Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale stumbled upon a Tom Cruise appearance on Late Show with David Letterman, According to the co-writer and director um, Mary Herron, Bell saw in Cruz the very intense friendliness and nothing behind the eyes, and Bell subsequently based the character on Bateman on that. Interestingly, Tom Cruise is actually featured in the novel. He lives in the same apartment complex as Bateman, who meets him in an elevator and gets the name of the film Cockti- Cocktail Wrong, calling it Bartender um also incidentally the audiobook is available on youtube for free it's in two parts i listened to the first part of that um i've heard from and then gave it up i've heard from several people it's kind of a um a long slog um let's see during production, Christian Bell followed the morning routine that his character Patrick Bateman described towards the beginning of the film. The film had various problems with designer labels during production I, I don't even know how you say the C E R U T I agreed to allow Bell to wear their clothes, but when the character was not when the character was killing anyone, Rolex agreed that anyone in the film could wear the watches except Bateman. Hence the famous line from the book, Don't touch the Rolex, had to be changed to Don't touch the watch. Perry Ellis provided underwear at the last minute after Calvin Klein pulled out of the project, and so on and so forth. The vast majority of the dialogue in the movie is taken word for word from the novel. Christian Bale was warned by many that it would be career suicide to play the lead in this film. That only made him more eager to try to take the part inspired by Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss 1989. Fortunately for him, the opposite turned out to be true. Bell's role in the movie was considered a breakthrough performance and enabled him to shift his career from supporting roles to leading man status in the decades to come. This finally culminated in the roles of Batman in the roles in the Batman and Terminator franchises, wide critical acclaim, as well as several movie award nominations, including an Oscar win. To block the three-way sex scene with two prostitutes, co-writer and director Mary Heron and Christian Bale watched X-rated tapes, and her commentary, Harron suggested Bell make stick figure drawings of the positions he thought would work best. In the DVD commentary, Mary Herron said that during the first shower scene with Patrick Bateman, all of the women on set gathered around to watch Christian Bell wash himself. During the big chainsaw scene, Bell would happily hang out between takes, wearing nothing but a sock, over his penis and some tennis shoes. So you probably remember that scene where he's naked and has a chainsaw and chases a woman through the apartment building and down the stairwell. Ewan McGregor was subsequently offered the role of Patrick Bateman, but decided, but declined, after Bale personally urged him to do so. The business cards belonging to Bateman David Van Patten, Timothy Price, Paul Allen, and Luis Carruthers each contain the same typo. On the top right, underneath where the company name, Pearson Pierce, is listed, the department is listed as mergers and acquisitions uh, with a typo in the word acquisitions. The name Bateman is derived from the main character of Psycho, Norman Bates. Certain scenes in the book either had to be completely removed or toned down for the film due to the graphic nature and extreme um, due to the graphic and extreme nature of the murders and torture scenes. A bunch of different people ha- were originally attached to this film. When Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to the project, feminist activist Gloria Steinem lob- lobbied for him not to make the film as his fan base consisted primarily of young teenage girls, and he could ruin his career. Steinem had spoken about the novel several times and was against the film version in any incarnation. Her involvement is rendered especially interesting insofar as she would soon become Christian Bale's stepmother, which I didn't know. Um, Bale later dismissed rumors that he specifically accepted the role to irk Steinem as unsubstantiated gossip. The Huey Lewis and New Song, Hip to be Square, which appeared in the film, was initially on the soundtrack album, but removed shortly after the release because of the lack of publishing rights. Having such faith in the film, Christian Bell turned down other film offers and auditions for nine months in the hopes of winning back the part of Patrick Bateman. While the novel American Psycho is set in 1989, the film adaptation is set in 1987. This is evidenced by the scene where Bateman is briefly reading Cigar's Survey, 1987. Also, the televised speech by President Ronald Reagan, as shown in the final scene of the movie, also occurred in 1987, whereas Reagan had already left the White House by the time the events in the original novel took place. The head that appears in Bateman's refrigerator was achieved by the actress in question sticking her name up through the fridge's shelves. This movie was initially given an NC-17 rating by the MPAA. Uh, Mary Herron argued against the rating, but was forced to make some minor trims to receive an R rating. When Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to the project, he was asking for twenty-one million dollars for the role, which brought the budget up to forty million. When Christian Bale got the role, the budget went back down to seven million. With a box office take in excess of thirty-four million, the film proved successful. For William Defoe's scenes, Mary Herron restricted him, instructed him to play each one in three different styles, one in which He is suspicious of Patrick Bateman, two, as if he had no clue as to Bateman's guilt, and three, as if he was undecided. Genevieve Turner, we also talked about, uh, was a screenplay co-writer, also played a small role as Patrick's friend Elizabeth in the scene with Christy the Call Girl. Um, At one point... Brett Easton Ellis was set to write the script for director Stuart Gordon with Johnny Depp starring as Patrick Bateman. That would have been interesting. Gordon wanted to do the film in black and white and stick as close to the book as possible, meaning a guaranteed X rating. After the project fell through, David Cronenberg replaced Gordon with Brad Pitt set to star. The project also, That project also failed to get off the ground. Whitney Houston refused to allow any of her songs to be used in the film. Um, after filming was completed, Bell admitted to Genevieve Turner that he was so sick of having to eat chicken breast in order to maintain his physique. Bateman excuses himself from a conversation by claiming he has an appointment with Cliff Huxtable, who, of course, Bill Cosby on The Cosby Show. Um. And to gain that buffed up appearance, Bell had to spend several hours a day in the gym and then three hours a day with an on set trainer. Uh. Bell extensively studied the American psycho novel and the character of Bateman in order to get the feel for the character right. He also distanced himself from the others while on set in order to create a mysterious, unsettling vibe for Bateman. This is the first film in which Christian Bale starts his run on different physiques and body transformations. Others include Reign of Fire, The Machinist, Batman Begins, Rescue Dawn, The Dark Knight, The Fighter, The Dark Knight Rises, American Hustle, Vice, and Ford vs. Ferrari. In the business card scene where Paul Allen mistakes Bateman for being Marcus Halberstram, all three of them wear the same glasses. This interesting part of the movie, too, is that nobody seems to recognize each other for whatever reason. I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, Author Brett Easton Ellis apparently based the character of Bateman on his own father. So that doesn't sound too good for their relationship. Um... And, of course, the novel is much more graphic than the film. Although Bateman is extremely wealthy, we never actually see him do any work. In fact, none of his colleagues are seen doing any work. Reese Witherspoon was three months pregnant when she made this film. Um, And we already said, Christian Bale used Nicolas Cage's performance in Vampire Kiss as an inspiration for Bateman. The movie that appears on Bateman's television while he's working out at home is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. In the novel, Bateman is way more misogynistic, racist, sexist, homophobic, and xenophobic. These characteristics were overall heavily toned down in the film in order to make the character more tolerable, even though some of those characteristics were still subtly present. Some media jokingly described the film as an adaptation of a novel written by a misogynist, directed by a feminist. All of everyone's business cards say vice president. Keanu Reeves was originally offered the role of Bateman. That would have been interesting. Reese Witherspoon would later present Christian Bell with his first Academy Award in 2011 for his role in The Fighter. In Dexter, Dexter Morgan, uses Patrick Bateman's name as an alias to obtain N-99 to incapacitate his victims. Both characters notably share some similarities in terms of being serial killers who lead double life. Christian Bell underwent extensive dental work in order to play the role of Bateman. Drew Barrymore and Liv Taylor were originally sought to play some of the female roles. Um, shortly before shooting commenced in Toronto. Lobbying began by Canadian. Canadians concerned about violence in entertainment, and they were protesting the government's um, funding of this movie. In 2013, Funny or Die created a hip-to-be-square scene with American Psycho with Huey Lewis and Weird Al. Huey Lewis himself played Jason Bateman, and Weird Al was the Paul Allen character. The cast and crew viewed Mario Bava's Hatchet for the Honeymoon prior to filming for Inspiration. One of the film's producers, Christian Halsley Solomon, is the son of Brett Halsley, who appeared as the lead of Bava's films Roy Colt and Winchester Jack and Four Times That Night. There has been and still continues to be ongoing debate as to whether this film is a drama, thriller, or horror. Some would argue that the film is more of a black comedy. Likely the film is more of a crossover type of film which contains many different elements. During the famous business card scene, every card listed, as we said, says vice president. Since none of these vice presidents has ever shown to do any work, this may be a callback to the famous greed is good speech in Wall Street where Gordon Gecko, Michael Douglas, points out that the company he's taken over has 33 vice presidents and he can't figure out what any of them do. The film includes three Oscar winners, Christian Bale, Jared Leto, and Reese Witherspoon, and two Oscar nominees, William Defoy and Chloe Savigny. In the novel, Bateman's most common weapons include an axe, nail gun, chainsaw, mace, acid, knives, and guns. At one point, Shannon... Doherty was up for the role of Evelyn. The film Memento uses the song Something in the Air by David Bowie. During the end credits, Christian Bale worked with Memento director Christopher Nolan in the Dark Knight trilogy and The Prestige. Despite what the film depicts, no ATMs distribute $100 bills. I'm just skipping some stuff that I don't think is very interesting. This is the second film that's based on a novel by Brett Easton Ellis. The first film adaptation based on his novel less than zero following this film the third film adaptation was based on the rules of attraction ironically even though the film is the second film adaptation based on his novel the novel is based on it's actually the third novel i don't know what any of that means who cares christian bell jared leto and william defoy all played superhero characters later in their Careers. Bell played Batman, of course, in the Dark Knight trilogy. Leto played Joker in Suicide Squad and Zack Snyder's Justice League. And DeFoy played Green Goblin and Spider Man. Justin Thoreau and Bill Sagg both portrayed the love interest of Carrie Bradshaw in Sex and the City. Christian Bell's moonwalk with an axe when he's about to murder one of his colleagues was improvised. His frenzied confession to his lawyer um, on the phone that he's a serial killer was filmed in 14 takes. Director Mary Heron kept pressing Bell to do another take as he improved with each take. Bell was fueled regularly by cappuccino during this. When Bateman shoots the police towards the end of novel, the police cruiser explodes, despite only being hit by bullets. Bateman rightfully looks at the gun, as it shouldn't have done that. This is a reference to the 1980s action movie trope, where cars just seem to do this, which might be a clue that this scene exists primarily in Bateman's mind. The events that Bateman mentions in the phone message to his lawyer are events that transpired in the book and not the film. While the film takes place over the course of several months. The novel takes place over the course of two years. In the film, Bateman's apartment is clean and polished. In the novel, his apartment gradually becomes filthy and messy due to the various body parts and organs of some of his victims, as well as a lot of spilled blood. This is one of the main reasons why he frequently uses Paul Owens, named Paul Allen, in the film Apartment, to continue to bring home more victims. Christian Bell spends 40% of the film either shirtless, in his underwear, or nude. Louise Louis Carruthers, Gene, and the Kitten are the only characters that unknowingly escaped Bateman's attempted murderous attacks. Bateman's Welsh accent can briefly be heard during the scene where he confesses his murderers on the phone to his lawyer the body count here is surprisingly not higher it's 12 but it's implied to possibly be up to 50 or more when Patrick confesses to the murders over the phone one of the people he mentions murdering was his ex-girl Bethany he, ex-girlfriend Bethany he said that he killed her with a nail gun in the book among other torture methods inflicted on her Bethany is graphically brutally mutilated by a nail gun before she eventually dies from her injuries, specifically when Patrick uses a saw to cut off one of her arms. Even though there is, are several implications in the film, in the novel Patrick Bateman was portrayed as cannibalistic. Even though the film barely mentions it, in the novel there are quite a few discussions about the AIDS virus some people have said that they felt sorry for Bateman during his confession scene. It was a knowledge that the character's psyche was deteriorating and that the scene was showing the unfortunate result of Bateman's not getting help for his psychoses. Okay, a couple things on American Psycho 2. In an interview with MTV News, Mila Kunis stated that she was horrified by the fact that she made the film and was happy it went straight to video. And obviously Mila Kunis, most famous for that 70s show. Been a lot of other stuff since then. Does the voice for Meg on uh, Family Guy. And of course is currently married to Ashton Kuchner, also from that 70s show. The film began production with no association to American Psycho, and it wasn't decided to repurpose until it had already started filming. Brett Easton Ellis claims that the studio wanted to include a serial killer subplot in the Rules of Attraction, but filmmakers objected to the idea leading to this film. The filming title was The Girl Who Wouldn't Die. Ellis has also denounced the film and stated that it is absolutely not canon to his characters. Um, Starkman references Ed Gain, as well as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Both are referred to in the first American Psycho. Kempor, Lindy, Booth, and Boyd Banks all appear also in the Dawn of the Dead from 2004. Okay, why should you watch these movies? Well, the first movie, I think, is a great example of the soulless Narcissistic nineteen eighties. Um, it was the decade, of course, of Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Blah 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 blah. So it's a good example of that. Even though you can decide for yourself what you think if he actually killed anyone or not. The second film, I would say, skip. You really don't need to see that. It's uh, unfortunate they could have made a better film and not have it connected to the original *American Psycho*. So that was just a c- cash grab by the studio so don't waste your time on that one Um, now for some usually do my recipe and of course I am going to do this time around uh, 25 classic foods from the 1980s it's from the website eatthis.com which is eat this not that so there are a few in here that I had forgotten about from the 80s so I'll just hit them real quick uh, slice. Uh, Once part of PepsiCo. Slice was a line of fruity sodas that survived until the late 2000s. Host and put, hostess Pudding Pies. So oh, those look really good. Triple Power Push Pops. Dr. Pepper Gum. Remember that? Also, there's some sort of Diet Dr. Pepper shortage. I don't know. Every time I go to the grocery store, it's very hard to find these days. So that's be a lot of people drinking Diet Dr. Pepper right now. Ranch dressing? Hidden Valley's ranch dressing was created in the 1950s but it took off in the 1980s. It wasn't until 1983 when the shelf stable recipe was developed and the familiar dressing bottle we know and love or hate was born. Suddenly ranch was being used everywhere from dousing iceberg lettuce to coating chicken to serving as a pizza dipping sauce. Original New York Seltzer. Giggles Cookies. I don't know if you remember those. They had little faces on them. Giggles Cookies are kind of like Oreos and even made by the same parent company, Nabisco, but with terrifying faces on them. Inside the sandwich cookies were both fudge and vanilla cream filling. squeeze You might remember those. Keebler Fudge Magic metals. Those tree dwelling Keebler elves once graced our shelves with their fudge magic metal cookies. The circular cookie was made of shortbread and the inside filled with a soft, fudgy chocolate filling. Although they were discontinued, their legend lives on thanks to a Facebook page demanding their return. Here's something I had uh, known about but did not remember until reading this Funny Feet Ice Cream. It's ice cream that looks like a foot and it's purple. If you want proof that the 80s was weird, look no farther than the British Funny Feet ice cream. The composition was strange. Strawberry-flavored ice cream in the shape of a foot stuck on a popsicle stick, but the ice cream was delightful. They disappeared in the 1990s, but made a comeback in 2013. Smurfberry Crunch Cereal from Post. Fat Frog Ice Cream. I don't remember that one. Oh, probably because hailing from Ireland, Fat Frog Ice Cream was another frozen treat at the time. It was shaped like a frog and had gumball eyes. I do remember this one. Dixie Snack Crackers. Chicken Flavored Crackers. For when you want chicken without any of the protein, they were even shaped like drumsticks. Care Bear Waffles. Pepperidge Farm Star Wars Cookies. Dutch Apple Pop-Tarts. I remember these. Um, you can still find Pop-Tarts in myriads of flavors of the grocery shelves, but you won't find Dutch Apple. The flavor was launched in the 70s, but one of the official Pop-Tart flavors of the 1984 U.S. Olympic team. Uh, famous Amos cookies. After working as a talent scout for the William Morris Agency... Wally Amos turned his aunt's chocolate chip cookie recipe into the crispy chocolatey treats we know and love today. He created the brand in 1975, but it wasn't until the 80s that it took off. He no longer owns his name-shaped cookies, but fortunately for us, they're still on grocery store shelves. Sunkiss Fun Fruit. Here's one of my favorites, Totino's Pizza Rolls. Gino's Pizza Rolls were developed in the late 1960s, but in the 1980s, the brand was sold to Pillsbury. It was rebranded as Totino Pizza Rolls, which is the brand we all know and love today. Got some of those in the freezer right now. Burger King French Toast Sticks. Until the mid-80s, Burger King breakfast menu was almost the same as McDonald's, and the company revamped it by adding French Toast Sticks, a tasty treat that was easy to eat on the go. And if you want to get next styles, you check out the 19 old Happy Meal toys that bring you back to your childhood. There's a link there. Dairy Queen Blizzards. And another one of my favorites, Lunchables. You might think of Lunchables more as 1990 Street, but they came out in 1989. I'm sure they're not good for you, but I still like them. TCBY, anybody remember this one? The yogurt, frozen yogurt boom of the early 2000s. Well, before that, there was TCBY. Frozen yogurt was the must-have treat, especially once TCBY, which stands for the country's best yogurt, went national in the 1980s. Lane Cuisine, also have some of those in my freezer. A sub-brand of Stouffer's, Link was launched in 1981 as a lighter alternative to the classic frozen meals. Although it had strong emphasis on dieting in the 1980s, today the brand has shifted more towards, quote, wellness. And Cool Ranch Doritos. Doritos, the messy tortilla chips with intense flavors, came out in the mid-1960s, but in 1986 released Cool Ranch and life has never been the same. And that's it for a couple of foods from the 80s. Hopefully you remember some of those as well. And now I am hungry. Okay, where to find us? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. We need all the help we can get. We're on Twitter at Food and Fried. Contact us by email at sorry at, at gmail.com. Or check us out on our website at food and frightening film That's it for this week. Um, until next time, stay safe, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.